trying to disguise yourself as a worker bee. That's you trying to blend in with hive. But you're not a worker bee. You're a renegade killer bee. Killer bee. Killer bee. Viceberg Slim. I will chop your heads off! Welcome to In Broad Daylight, a solo podcast with your host, Adam Todd Brown. Hey, everybody. Welcome to In Broad Daylight, a solo podcast. Do you even know what that means? It means there's no co-host. It's just me, Adam Todd Brown. Your host. There's no guests. There's no audience. There's no one to tell me if my jokes are lame or not. They're not. I don't need anyone to tell me that. It's just me. It's just you. And boy, are we talking about some shit on this episode. That makes it sound like we're talking about something way different than what we normally talk about. No, we're talking about Trump. In fact, we're talking about another one of his goddamn speeches. You may recall a couple weeks ago, I did an episode about Trump's campaign rally. Not even campaign rally. I don't know what we're calling them these days. Trump's rally in El Paso. And he just did another one. It actually is more of an impromptu rally because what it actually was was just a speech at CPAC, which is the Conservative Political Action Conference in Maryland on March 2nd. And it becomes pretty apparent throughout the course of this speech, which is the length of a goddamn Springsteen concert. It's two hours long, or approximately half of one documentary about Michael Jackson molesting kids. The speech has some girth got some meat to it but not really because that makes it sound like there's there's a, a lot of things of value i think that's what it's got some meat to it means no this is just big it's just big it's got it's got a lot a lot of minutes a lot of minutes and a lot of words a lot of the same words over and over if you can believe that but what's really remarkable about this speech and i know this doesn't sound remarkable but the difficulty he has staying on topic This is clearly supposed to be maybe a 25, 30 minute speech about tariffs, and it takes about nine minutes for that to all go horribly wrong. To his credit, begrudgingly, I'll say, he does a decent job the first, you know, eight, nine minutes staying on track, but that all comes after he walks out on stage, which in and of itself is a fucking spectacle. He comes out to God Bless the USA by Lee Greenwood. I think that's who sings that shit. And the first thing he does, you've probably seen this already, he hugs an American flag. Just full embrace, kind of molesty, like it's a contestant at the Teen Miss USA pageant. He probably broke in this flag's dressing room before the speech and caressed its pole. If you know what I mean. But yeah, he hugged a fucking flag, which didn't look stupid at all. Very, very presidential. Uh, He also attempted a throw your hands in the air and wave them like you just don't care sort of moment to God bless the USA again. And that lasted all of about two waves of his stumpy fucking arms. But I will remember it for the rest of my life. If you watch nothing else from this speech... Go check out the first 35 seconds or so, so you can see him walk onto the stage. It is classic. So then he starts talking, as one does during a speech. And like I said, the first eight, nine minutes, it's all fine. He's on track. He's actually talking about a a topic that isn't the worst thing he's ever done, which is the trade deal with China. There are some legitimate trade concerns. Not the worst thing to go give a really focused, concise speech about, to rally conservatives at the Conservative Political Action Conference. I bet there's lots of guns at that. Guns and action go hand in hand, just like guns and Republicans. But then he pauses, and this happens. And you know, I don't know, maybe you know. You know, I'm totally off script, right? Thank you, darling. You know I'm totally off script right now. And this is how I got elected, by being off script. 
Sure. And if we don't go off script, our country's in big trouble, folks, because we have to get it back. What? I mean, I get what he's saying if we don't go off script. So he's saying the script that has been written for the country so far is a bad one. You've been president for two years now. That is plenty of time to punch that script up and make it better. I think the question here is why were you not doing all of this script fixing two years ago. That's a Hollywood term right there, script fixing. And if you can believe it, Hollywood does come up a lot more in this speech in a particularly crazy way that I don't even know if that clip is making the rounds yet on the internet, but you're going to hear it here. Either way, the country has to go off script to get back on script. That is a decent summary of this speech in its entirety, because let me tell again, I promise you this was supposed to be about half an hour long. And as as we get through it, you'll see why it definitely is not. But to his credit, up to this point, again, he's got a good eight, nine minutes of really hitting on what I would argue is a decent message for him to hit on, which is trade. Because remember, trade is a thing that a lot of Bernie Sanders supporters were sold on him over also, and then switched over to Trump when Bernie was no longer in the race. So, of course, Trump is going to bring up trade. And, of course, he's going to veer wildly off path at some point, but usually not as often and as aggressively as he does it in this speech. It's kind of fucking remarkable, if I'm being totally honest. Once all of that happens, once he starts talking about going off script after there was some break and then a group of women start chanting something and he says, I love you, sweetheart, and all bets are off at that point. So the next thing he brings up is the Green New Deal. Let's listen. And when I look at what's happening on the other side... I encourage it. I say, no, no, I I think the new Green Deal or whatever the hell they call it. The Green New Deal, right? Green New Deal. I encourage it. I think I think it's really something that they should promote. They should work hard on. It's something our country needs. Desperately, they have to go out and get it. But I'll take the other side of that argument only because I'm mandated to. I'm mandated. But they should stay with that argument. Never change. Never change. No planes. No energy. When the wind stops blowing, that's the end of your electric. Let's hurry up. Darling. Darling, is the wind blowing today? I'd like to watch television, darling. Now, if you feel like Trump is working through a potential stand-up comedy set for some time in the future, you're not wrong feeling that way. This entire speech is very crowd work comedy-esque, to the point that he brings up comedy at one point in a very Trump supporter who does comedy kind of way. But we'll get there. In the meantime, right off the bat, this was him talking about the Green New Deal, obviously, which that he's bringing it up now becomes important later. But how insane is it that people who oppose the Green New Deal seem to pride themselves on not remembering the name? It is three fucking words, you lunatics. Four, if you include the. And it's one of the shortest government-related things I have ever read. It's like six pages long. But everyone who criticizes this thing, their go-to opener joke is to act like they don't even know the name of it. Nancy Pelosi fucking did it. Why take pride in not even knowing the name of the thing you're criticizing? Who is directing these people? And again, it's so short. Not only can you remember the name, you can read the whole document and pretty much... Form your opinions from there. Has Trump read it? Probably not. 
I don't know if Trump has read anything except that book of Hitler speeches that he used to keep on his bedside. Used to. I'm sure it's gone now. But what this exchange was, especially that weird part at the end where an old man is asking his wife if they can watch TV today or if they can have electricity today because the wind's not blowing. Because you know how solar energy only works when the sun is out and then when the sky is dark, everything goes dark around the world if we were run by solar energy. Which, by the way, not how solar energy works. If you were going to fact check me on that in the comments, I know I was making a joke. Like I said, there's no audience here, so you, you can't hear the laughter in the background, but it would be here if there was. Anyway, what this really is, at least that exchange, is him just seizing another opportunity to take a shot at one of his biggest pet peeves, which is windmills. You can, if, if you want some, some background on that, a really good place to go is the documentary You've Been Trumped, which I think is still on Netflix. It's a documentary from, I think, 2011 or 2012. So probably wasn't on everyone's radar the way it would be had it come out now. Or you could listen to the October 15th, 2018 episode of Good Luck America, which is a politics and news podcast that I host with the lovely and talented Chet Wild. That episode was called Why Wind Energy is Doomed in America. And it's about how Trump has this campaign against wind energy farms that dates back to like 2012, when he had been for years trying to build these golf courses in Scotland. And he did eventually, they were built. But around 2012, I think, I think it was actually near the time the documentary came out is when this windmill or wind farm that ended up being right off the coast of Trump's golf course went up. And since that time, since this thing was first announced, Trump calls wind farms visual pollution. Or it's not just that he calls them that. That is a term that anti-wind energy types tend to use. And he said he was personally offended when he looked out the window and saw that there were wind farms off the coast of his golf course. And the things he did to not only try and stop this wind farm from happening, but also the things he did to hide the fact that there were houses near this golf course that he thought weren't expensive enough. He called them dumps when they were just houses that people who weren't rich lived in. It was by no means a slum. It's fucking the coast of Scotland. It's beautiful. And he did like he would pile mounds of dirt around the houses. So golfers would just see a mound of dirt instead of seeing the house. And if you're inside the house, you used to have this beautiful view of the Scottish countryside. And now you got a view of a mound of dirt. And he did shit like this constantly over the course of years in Scotland trying to get these golf courses built. And then near the end of all that, this wind farm pops up. So he has a new thing to be angry about. And we talk about this more at length in the Good Luck America episode. But from 2012 to 2015, he tweeted more than 60 times about the dangers of wind farms, with the last one coming about a month before he announced he was running for president. And he does that same thing that I talked about in the previous episode about the last Trump rally, where he brings up the fact that one in three women are sexually abused while migrating to the United States through Mexico, where he's he's trying to make it seem like, oh, well, this is why we have to do this, because I care about these women. When you know goddamn well, he doesn't care about those women. He doesn't fucking care about anyone. And again, that's always a red flag with Trump. Whenever he's expressing concern for the wellness and safety of another being that isn't a white nationalist, you know some shit's up. And his campaign against wind energy is no different because a lot of his tweets are about how windmills kill birds. And they do. Somewhere around 140,000 to 328,000 birds each year. That is a lot. But it is not nearly as many birds as are killed by coal every year, which is closer to around 8 million. So whether this technology works and would benefit the world or is even a danger to birds, 
is not a thing Trump cares about. He cares that he lost a business dispute over wind farms in 2012 and has had it out for the industry ever since. And now he's using his platform as president to settle that vendetta from the past. Who's surprised? Can you believe it? Anyway, let's listen to another clip. No, but it's true. So the great tariff debate of 1888, and then we had so much money, we could do whatever we wanted. We built forces up that were incredible. Then in 1913, they ended tariffs, okay? They ended tariffs. Somebody got stupid, and they ended tariffs. They said, oh, it's okay for other nations to come in. I won't use a certain word, because not politically, but everybody knows the word I'd love to use. Should I use it? I won't do it. Our great first lady always said, don't use certain words, please. I say, but the audience wanted me to do it. She said, don't do it. And the problem is, if I do do that, they won't put the little preamble that we just went through. They'll just use the word and they'll say, use it that terrible. So I won't use it. What word is he talking about? I mean, I have to assume the word is foreigners. Unless he was just going to drop a straight fucking racial slur, which foreigners is pretty close, but that's more a xenophobic slur than anything. But what a fascinating exchange that was. He and Melania talk about the words that he shouldn't use, but the audience wants him to use those words so badly. Please, Trump, say the N-word. We're dying for it. But he won't because the first lady told him not to. What a bitch. Let's keep going. I've learned, because with the fake news, if you tell a joke, if you're sarcastic, if you're having fun with the audience, if you're in live television with millions of people and 25,000 people in an arena, and if you say something like, Russia, please, if you can, get us Hillary Clinton's emails. Please, Russia, please. Please get us the emails. Please. So everybody's having a good time. I'm laughing. We're all having fun. And then that fake CNN and others say, he asked Russia to go get the emails. <laughs> Horrible. I mean, I saw it like two weeks ago. I'm watching and they're talking about one of the points. He asked Russia for the emails. These people are sick. And I'm telling you, <laughs> they know the game. They know the game. And they play it dirty, dirtier than anybody's ever played the game. Dirtier than it's ever been played. Uh-oh. Sounds like someone needs a safe space. I think that's what Trump was getting at. Don't criticize him. He's just in front of the world and an arena full of people. Why can't he say whatever he wants? This is such a dumb fucking debate, and I'm so tired of it. But it makes a lot of sense for Trump to take it up. Because look at any comedian who gets called out for saying crazy shit and see where they go next. They're going to start retweeting whoever has replaced Alex Jones now, and they're going to make a comedy album called Triggered. These things, it's just the natural course of things. When people are called out for using words that a lot of society would prefer they not use anymore, all of a sudden the left are the Nazis. Wah, can't say the N-word anymore. The left are the real Nazis. Well, good riddance, motherfuckers. The right can have you in your shitty jokes. And you can have Trump. You got him. Sort of related side note. One of the, the reigning controversies in comedy right now is that Stormy Daniels is doing stand-up. And I've seen some people pretending that the anger over this is a gender thing. Where men are mad, women are not. For starters, that's a lie. You just don't know enough comics. Go follow enough of them on Twitter. You will find that there is outrage on both sides. And maybe even if you poke around in my faves 
on Twitter, you might find one. Where do I stand on the issue? I don't give a shit. The world is on fire right now. I know actual comics who shouldn't be doing comedy clubs, and they are. Stormy Daniels is the least of my fucking concerns. But I will say that comics know what industry they're in. And if you're looking for a job where your talent is prized above all else, keep fucking looking. I don't know when anyone thinks that is what comedy somehow became, but comedy has never been that. Stormy Daniels could bump 90% of the comedians in L.A. from any stage on any fucking night. Your comedy clubs don't love your talent. If they can get Stormy Daniels in there five fucking nights a week, they're going to do it because that will attract more customers because she has a bigger following. It's great to have good comics on those off nights when you can't get a B or C list celebrity to headline a show. Then it helps to have good comics so tourists who are in on an off night don't just think your establishment is total bullshit. But once Stormy Daniels walks in the room, your establishment is total bullshit. And this is a thing that a lot of comics benefit from, too. If a bigger comic walks into a show at one of these two-drink minimum type comedy clubs, they're going up. And if it means someone else doesn't get to, then so be it. So, sorry, Stormy Daniels gets to do stand-up now motherfuckers i have my own personal example of that i used to run a show at west side comedy theater beacon of making people feel comfortable and safe and free from harsh words even though they replaced the darkest hour after the whole josh denny thing with another show that's basically the darkest hour so until someone involved with that show i don't know says something about jews then you can still technically go to West Side Comedy Theater and hear people say edgy shit. It's just that if it ever becomes a Twitter thing, they have to make you think you can't. Anyway, I used to run a show at West Side Comedy Theater, and Damon Wayans showed up. And he did about 35 minutes of homophobic jokes from the 80s that he'd apparently just written. And I couldn't, I couldn't go up. 15 minutes in and be like get the fuck off the stage man this is you're killing my show no one can do that that's how comedy works you just have to let damon wayans tell his jokes about the gfl which means gay football league i still have those jokes somewhere but only on audio not video and no i'll never release them because all in all damon wayans was kind of nice and he came back a couple weeks later and killed so whatever but uh, yeah, I don't care about Stormy Daniels doing comedy. And back to Trump and his ability to tell jokes on the world stage. Should someone remind him that Reagan almost got the United States bombed by Russia over a joke in the 80s? Do we remember that? Let's go to the archives. I've signed legislation that will outlaw Russia forever. <laughs> we begin bombing in five minutes. <laughs> Funny, funny stuff, Reagan. Here's the thing. As that Reagan incident clearly demonstrates, sometimes jokes have real-world consequences. And that's what these fucking goons who cry about PC culture don't understand. That's especially goddamn true if the one telling the jokes is the fucking president. Your tone of voice really doesn't matter when you're asking a foreign government to intervene in an election on your behalf. When that soundbite makes its way to the people who will eventually take it seriously, it will have been stripped of all context, all tone, maybe won't even be translated properly. It's a joke to you and the people at your fucking KKK rally, but to the people hearing it in Russia, they're like, oh shit, that guy wants us to interfere in their election. Let's do it. And now who's feeling confident that Trump will never let a we're about to start bombing joke fly in one of his speeches. Granted, the transfer of information between us and other places is much faster now, so it would be a real debacle if that did end in a bombing, but I don't know, what if it was North Korea? How does their internet even work? Do they have internet? Is it dial-up? Would they get the word that Trump was just joking before they launch a bomb in our direction? Who knows? Maybe we'll find out someday. And oh yeah, tariffs! We are 32 minutes into this podcast. We're 14 minutes in to his speech. And so far, we've gotten about eight minutes of tariff talk. At this point, tariffs are basically the wraparound 
in an anthology movie about Trump saying crazy shit. That's what this speech is. This is movie 43. Movie 45, I guess, would be a better way to say it. There was no movie 44. That would have been Obama. But I feel like calling the sequel to movie 43, movie 45, is right in line with how that franchise works. Not a franchise, just one movie that came out in 2015 that nobody liked except me. Check me out on Best Bad Movie Ever, defending it. It's funnier than you would expect. But yeah, that's what this speech is. This is Trump trying to be serious about tariffs and failing miserably, as you'll hear in a little bit, but mostly just doing bits about the Green New Deal and Democrats being socialists. And what's really interesting is that for a change, he's doing himself a disservice with all of these crazy tangents. Because again, trade, tariffs, things like that, those are things Trump is actually sort of strong on. And it would be to his benefit to just have a non-deranged speech where you say intelligent things. Get at least one under your belt before you're impeached and or decide that the presidency is a lifetime thing and never leave office. Either way, get one quality speech in before all of that goes down. But no. And normally these tangents, they distract from like the scary, crazy shit he says. But this time he's just distracting from... What could have been a good moment for him by just trampling all over a fairly well-crafted and compelling speech about trade, obviously not written by him, with sidebars about wind farms and how he wishes he could still say foreigner when he goes up at the comedy cellar. And you know what? I'm fine with that. I am fine with him shooting himself in the foot in a metaphorical sense. I don't trust him with a gun under any circumstances in real life. All right. Let's listen to another especially crazy moment here. We had the greatest election. In all fairness, I used to hear Andrew Jackson. This was now greater than the election of Andrew Jackson. People say that. No, people say it. I'm not saying it. This was the equivalent or greater. Andrew fucking Jackson? Speaking of going off script, there is no goddamn way anyone wanted Trump to say that. And I did a quick Google search. There was an article up recently that compared Trump to Andrew Jackson. And I feel like maybe he just saw that headline and knows Andrew Jackson is a president from the past. So he must be great. So obviously, this is an article praising Trump for being so much like Andrew Jackson. But of course not. Andrew Jackson was fucking impeached. It's not a comparison you want people making about you. I mean, except people who advocate for Confederate statues in the public square and shit. If that's the base you're trying to reach, then Andrew Jackson is a a great conduit to get that message out to people. But for fuck's sake, Andrew Jackson, why not just compare yourself to Bill Clinton while you're up there? I mean, probably because the main similarity is that both of them almost certainly banged a tween on Jeffrey Epstein's private sex island back in the day. But still, this is a weird, weird comparison let's see where this crazy train is headed next we had the greatest of all time now we have people that lost and unfortunately you put the wrong people in a couple of positions and they leave people for a long time that shouldn't be there and all of a sudden they're trying to take you out with bullshit okay <laughs> with bullshit. oh man that is the gold mine moment right there You've all seen it on TV by now. Trump said bullshit. He said a curse word. He went blue during his set. Put that in your safe space and smoke it, libs. But this does actually lead up to one of the most concerning moments of the speech. Here comes that. Now, Robert Mueller never received a vote, and neither did the person that appointed him. And as you know... The attorney general says, I'm going to recuse myself. And I said, why the hell didn't he tell me that before I put him in? How do you recuse yourself? But the person that appointed Robert Mueller never received a vote. Robert Mueller put 13 of the angriest Democrats in the history of our country on the commission. Now, how do you do that? These are angry, angry people. You take a look at them. One of them was involved with the Hillary Clinton Foundation running it. 
Another one has perhaps the worst reputation of any human being I've ever seen. All killers. Okay, so that was a pretty good Jeff Sessions. I'm not going to lie. I did like the Jeff Sessions impression. That was pretty spot on. But also completely beside the point, because holy shit, did everyone catch the all killers line when he mentioned the angriest Democrats in the history of our country who have all been appointed by Robert Mueller to run this investigation? All killers is what he said. And then points out that one of them was on the Hillary Clinton Foundation and another one is just one of the worst people he's ever known. All killers. All 13 of those people are killers. What the fuck does that mean? I'll wait. I'll wait for an answer if anyone can tell me what that means. It is pretty clear what he's building up to here, which is that these people were put into office illegitimately and need to be removed and replaced. He keeps using the phrase people who got no votes. I give it three months before the next national emergency that needs to be dealt with is Democrats. And when that happens, here's hoping the Supreme Court rules in our favor, because I don't think it's a guarantee that they will. But that's all crazy. Checks and balances, baby. Let's listen to this is just dumb. Here we go. Later, I guarantee I'll be watching it later. I have one of the great inventions in history. It's called TiVo. I think it's actually better than television because television is practically useless without TiVo, right? I have no words for that. I just wanted to play it for you. That is Trump in 2019 plugging TiVo. TiVo. Isn't TiVo a separate box that you have to put on top of your cable box that probably already has a DVR built into it? Trump still has a goddamn TiVo and an iPhone? You can't have a TiVo and an iPhone in the same place. They'll fucking fight. They're from a different era. But anyway, I wonder what Trump's defense will be if the Mueller investigation concludes that he was involved in some wrongdoing. I wonder how he will defend himself against those claims. Go back and listen to that last part. See if there's any clues. See if it helps you figure out for yourself where this is all going. And also... I wonder what it could be that he feels like he's going to have to defend himself against coming out of the Mueller probe. Let's see if he gives us any clues. So the attorney general is weak and ineffective and he doesn't do what he should have done. Somebody that never got a vote writes a powerful letter, horrible, about Comey. Every single Democrat said Comey should be fired or worse if possible. Every Republican said he, everybody, in fact, when I fired Comey, I said, you know, first lady, I said, Melania, I'm doing something today. I'm doing it because it really has to be done. He's bad. He's a bad, bad, he's a bad, bad guy that's been proven now with all of the emails and the tech. I'm doing something that has to be done. But you know the good news? It's going to be bipartisan. It's going to be so popular. It's going to be bipartisan. Every Democrat hates him. Every Republican hates him. He did a horrible job at the FBI. Speak to the real agents, the real people, because the people in the FBI are incredible people, not the sleaze on top. And and I said to the first lady, I said, but you know the good news? The good news is that This is going to be so bipartisan. Everyone's going to love it. So we fire Comey and Schumer, who called for his resignation many times. Podesta, I believe that day, because he still hasn't gotten over getting his ass kicked, okay? (laughs) I believe that day called for his resignation. That day, Podesta, the great genius of campaigns, he called for the Comey Resignation. Others, almost every, I would say, Mark, would you say virtually every Democrat, virtually every, I can't think of anybody that said he's doing a good job. So I said to Melania, Melania, the good news, this will be a popular thing. And I fire a bad cop, I fire a dirty cop, and all of a sudden the Democrats say, how dare he fire him? How dare he do this? And that's where we are, folks. 
That's where we are. We're in the swamp of Washington, D.C. But you know what? We're winning and they're not. We're winning and they're not. Huh. What an interesting time to start defending yourself over firing James Comey. That was such a long time ago. What could possibly be prompting Trump to issue this new, oh, I figured it was a bipartisan effort defense over firing James Comey? Could it be that whatever is coming from the Mueller investigation calls out Trump for some possible wrongdoing over that firing? Could you imagine that that's why he went on that long rant about James Comey just now at the CPAC speech where he's supposed to be talking about tariffs. And if you don't believe that he has been going radically off course this entire time, which, by the way, at this point, we're 25 minutes into this speech. It's a two-hour speech. And if you don't believe it was supposed to be radically shorter, listen to this. So just to finish, I'll tell you, Match Lab is loving this. He's saying this is a lot more than we paid for. You know, normally you read a few pages and you say, bye, folks. But you know what I like about this? Number one, I'm in love and you're in love. We're all in love together. We've done something that nobody's ever done. I mostly wanted you to hear the so just to finish part, because that line arrives with about 90 minutes left in this speech. This is the second Iraq war of political speeches at this point. The mission accomplished banner is up. Trump is on the aircraft carrier, and there is still a long, long, long fucking way to go. At this point, the score is like tariffs, 10 minutes, everything else, 20 minutes. But surely things are going to get back on track right now. Let's listen. Of course, the Washington Post, a guy named David Weigel. hey Un- Pops guest shout out in a Trump speech. How exciting is that? Dave Weigel, two-time Unpops guest. Now he's in Trump's crosshairs. I mean, he always has been. He works for the Washington Post. But uh, bringing up Dave Weigel in this speech kicks off what turns out to be a riff that goes on for about six solid minutes about how unfair the media is when it comes to covering crowd sizes at his rallies, all based around two incidents that both happened well over a year ago. The Dave Weigel thing, look it up. Dave literally apologized to Trump and explained how the mix-up happened. As far as the inauguration, there weren't as many motherfuckers at that inauguration as Trump wants you to think. We all goddamn know that. And all of this, for some reason, this six-minute rant about the crowd sizes at his rallies and how the media doesn't cover them fairly, is all off-the-rails shit that was not in the original speech. And if you don't believe this still at this point is supposed to be a speech about tariffs, let's let him get back to it, and we'll just see how long he's able to stay on course. Because what what you're about to hear, he's clearly here to speak about a thing. In, in the, the name of aiding your listening and just... In the name of experimenting, we're going to start a little timer. See how long it takes him to go back off course. Here we go. DJ, start that egg timer. All right, now let's get back into what I'm here for. And don't fall asleep. Don't fall asleep, right? Don't fall asleep. You know, somebody said, oh, the speech you made, sir, the State of the Union speech was incredible. Ah, God damn it. And now we are off course again. That took, eh, I'm going to say about seven seconds. He got as far as admitting he's supposed to be talking about something else before he veered off into talking about something else again. So uh, let's try this again. See how it goes. We've slashed 30,000 pages of job-killing regulations from the Federal Register, that's an all-time record in the history of the United States, even by presidents that are there for eight years and in one case more. We passed the largest package of tax cuts and reforms in American history. 
And we got rid of the individual mandate, which was a big deal. <laughs> which should lead to the ending of the disaster known as Obamacare. It should. The great state of Texas has a case, and it was literally based on the individual mandate. Now that it's gone, I don't know how they rule against it. Now we'll have to find out. But that'll soon be up in the Supreme Court of the United States, I hope. And we're going to see what happens. And then we're going to get together with the Democrats and come up with really great health care. Okay? Really great health care. And one of the other things we did in our tax package is ANWR, perhaps the largest field in the world, oil and gas. I got it approved. And I didn't want to get it approved for a certain reason, because I thought somebody treated me very badly, very badly. Don't get that vote very often. And I said, you know, I don't want to get it. Then I get a call from a friend of mine, and he's in the oil business. He's not asking for anything, he's a, but he really is a knowledgeable guy when it comes to oil and gas. He said to me, hey, and they all call me Mr. President. I have friends that for 35 years, hey, Don, how you doing? Hey, Donnie, I love you, Donnie. For 35 years, now they call Mr. President, sir. Oh, man, two, almost two minutes before he's off to the races again. I'll give him credit for the stuff leading up to Mr. Don. No one, people called him Donnie. That's all I'm calling Trump from now on is Donnie. But again, he makes it about two minutes. Remember, at one of these points before this, he did warn you that if he goes back to the speech that was written for him, it's going to get very tiring and boring. And you know what? He does at one point, and it does. But this riff about people calling him Don goes on for another minute and a half, which, to his credit, is less time than he just spent talking about the actual subjects of the speech, but not by much. And if you're curious as to what leads me to believe that the bit about people not calling him Don or Donnie anymore wasn't in the actual speech, listen to this. And that wasn't in the script either, Mark. But we're renegotiating right now horrible trade deals that we're cracking down. This Segway brought to you by Segway. Segway, when you need a Segway, Segway. Like, holy shit, someone get this guy in a level one stand-up class pronto. I wasn't sure if he and the guy he was addressing for having gone off script again are renegotiating trade deals, or if he's renegotiating those trade deals with the people he should be renegotiating them with. That was a very confusing segue, and it will not be the last. Anyway, the speech goes on like this for another goddamn hour and 20 goddamn minutes. But here's the thing. Like I said, for a good long moment there, he does stay almost completely on track, and he's right. Everything he says is boring as shit. But also, people can be bored for about 30 minutes, and you can just give a normal speech like a normal president and get the fuck out of there. Sometimes the president's job is to bore people. That is just part of the requirement. Sometimes you have to do the boring shit, too. But Trump doesn't want to. Trump wants to talk about people calling him Donnie. But after this, for, for a while, the speech for about half an hour is, is pretty much on track and mostly normal. And then there's this exchange, which I would argue is probably Trump at his absolute smoothest. I took a day off. I flew to a lovely place called Iraq. And I flew at night and I got there at night. And I said to myself, this is interesting because they say, sir, all of the lights in the plane, sir, are going off. I say, why? <laughs> because we're getting ready to land. We're an hour out. I said, what about the shades? Well, we want it better than that. Maybe light gets through. So we turned the lights off, put the shades down. This is a big 740 Air Force One. And we're landing. And I go up and I look. And I've landed. I like to sit with pilots. I respect people that know what they're doing. And these are the best in the world. I really do. These are the best in the world. And the pilot says, sir, we're landing in approximately one and a half minutes. I say, but there's no runway. No, sir, the runway's right up there, sir. I say, I don't see it. I have pretty good vision. <laughs> At least for my age, I have good vision. <laughs> I guess for my age, I have great vision. But 
I don't have vision like a 35-year-old captain. He said, no, it's right up there. I said, I'm sorry, Captain. Uh, how about this? Should we lift off and try to get Captain? There's no runway. Anyway, no, he said, right up there. Now we land. There's practically no lights. These are little pin spots. And I said, think of this. We spent $7 trillion in the Middle East, and we can't land a plane with the lights on. <laughs> 20 years later, how bad is that? No, seriously, how bad is it? How bad is it? $7 trillion and we have to fly in with no lights. Okay, so credit where credit is due time. That was a pretty good point, and it was stated kind of, if not eloquently, it was pretty charming. It is also something I guarantee you he did not write, solely because of how much time he spent glaring at the teleprompter while he was delivering that story. So if that all sounded like a really presidential moment, it's probably because someone else wrote that shit. And, you know, even the blind squirrel finds a nut sometimes. It probably helps that I I would agree that we've spent a little too much time doing war stuff in the Middle East. Granted, I think Trump just wants to pull out of the Middle East because we need to do some war stuff in Venezuela, and there's a lot of oil at stake down there also. But still, a point is a point, and he delivered that one well. But don't worry. It goes off the rails pretty fucking hard, pretty fucking fast from there. People. I said, what's your name? Sir, my name is Raisin. What the hell kind of a name? I said, Raisin like the fruit? He goes, yes, sir, Raisin. What's your last name? Cain. Raisin Cain. I said, you got to be Cain. It's true. Raisin Cain. I just made him a big star. Just like I did with Mattis when I said, we're going to give you a new nickname because chaos is not a good nickname. So we changed his name, called him Mad Dog. But it wasn't working too well. Mad Dog wasn't working too well. So what happened is I flew to Iraq. I want to meet the people on the site because I learn more sometimes from soldiers what's going on than I do from generals. I do. I hate to say it. I tell that to the generals all the time. But I didn't have to go there. I didn't have to go there because I meet And I landed this airport, the most incredible thing. We must have spent $3 billion building it. It's one of the reasons I don't want to leave Iraq so fast. I said, well, how do we leave this thing? So I have Raisin Kane, three other generals, colonels, sergeants. And I said, bring the cameras. I'm going to make a movie. This is the most incredible thing. And I said to the generals, listen, we got to get out. I want to know why is it going to take two years to knock off two or three or four percent, which is what we had left. It won't, sir. I said, tell me why it won't. It won't, sir. If we attack them in a different manner, we can do it much faster. Okay, General Raisin Kane, how fast can... Sir, we can have it totally finished in one week. I said, one week? I was told two years. One week. That's right, sir. We're only hitting them from a temporary base in Syria. But if you gave us permission, we could hit him from the back, from the side, from all over, from the base that you're right on right now, sir. They won't know what the hell hit him. Hit it from the back. Hit it from the back. How did that chant not start? Come on. Also, in what world is chaos not a good nickname? Get the fuck out of here. If people called me Adam Chaos Brown, I would be huge right now. That is all a person needs to get a leg up in life is a bitchin' nickname like Chaos. Don't get me wrong, Mad Dog's not bad. But Chaos? Come on. That kind of implies that you do parkour and shit. That guy doesn't walk. He fucking bounces off phone booths and shit. It's Chaos! But also, General Raisin Kane. That fucking story. I promise you, whoever wrote that speech and delivered that arguably fantastic moment about how we've spent $7 trillion in the Middle East and still can't land a plane safely at night. Whoever wrote that was probably sobbing by the end of the General Raisin Kane story. And for what it's worth, he's probably referring to Brigadier General J. Daniel Kane, as pointed out by at Dave underscore Brown 24 on Twitter. I have no doubt that General J. Daniel Kane does indeed call himself Raisin Kane. And it's not a terrible nickname, but that story completely undid whatever rare, legitimately good point Trump had just made before that. 
in an ocean of very, very bad points. Especially the part where he kicks off the anecdote by shitting on how he doesn't get good information from military people in Washington. Does this guy understand the military is usually the last line of defense between you and a coup? The military is the only thing keeping Maduro in power right now. Trump should know this. He's very involved in that situation. But instead, he's shitting all over the military. Definitely won't need them someday. Also, there is still a fucking hour left in this speech. And we haven't even gotten to the craziest parts. Here comes one of them right now. Those generals were great. They were great. They knew their stuff. They were gung-ho. And it is true. I mean, you talk central casting. These guys, you couldn't. I mean, it's incredible. They had a master sergeant there. I could take him right now. Bring him to Hollywood. Make a military movie. And he's the star of the movie. That happened once before, you know. That did happen once. Remember? They brought a man in, a sergeant, a drill sergeant, to teach some actor how to be a drill sergeant. The drill sergeant was so incredible that he ended up starring in the movie. And he should have gotten the Academy Award, by the way, but he didn't. That's because Hollywood discriminates against our people. Hollywood discriminates against our people. Holy shit. It honestly doesn't matter who the fuck he's talking about there. He could not be more incorrect. Even if he's talking about Republicans, go watch Vice. Go watch W. And tell me Hollywood was somehow discriminatory against those two fuckwads. Of course, being Dick Cheney and George Bush. I think W maybe implied that George Bush was in over his head. To the credit of Vice, they at least implied that that administration was guilty of war crimes. But in both cases, a very comical, lighthearted take on an awful moment in American history. But he's probably talking about the military. You know, the subject of several Academy Award nominated and winning movies over the past several decades. Going just off a list of military films that won Best Picture that I found on Military.com, we have the following. From Here to Eternity, Wings, Patton. All Quiet on the Western Front, Saving Private Ryan, The Hurt Locker, Platoon, The Best Years of Our Lives, Lawrence of Arabia, The Deer Hunter, The Bridge on the River Kwai, Apocalypse Now, and that is just the shit that won. Every time Clint Eastwood's curmudgeonly ass rolls out a military movie, that shit gets nominated for an Oscar. Of all the debates to try and co-opt, who had Trump going with this one? in their office betting pools. I certainly did not, but here we are. Let's listen to another clip. I said, you know, it's Saturday morning. I said, Matt, should we do a little more, like, spend time? He said, yeah, would you do that? By the way, everybody okay? I haven't seen anybody living. I haven't seen anybody. I know one thing, if Mark Levin gets up and leaves, I'll finish very quickly, because then I know. But I haven't seen anyone leaving. Nobody's left. I watch those doors, because a lot of times... A lot of times, well, one time the press said, people left. Yeah, you know where they went to? The bathroom, and then they came back. <laughs> two people. They showed two empty seats in a stadium of 19,000. They showed two empty seats. The people left right in front of me. And I said, oh, man, maybe this isn't a good job I'm doing. Then they came back. They went to the bathroom. <laughs> and a certain fake news deal showed a picture on the front page of these two empty seats. They said Trump had empty seats. We never have empty seats. The Green New Deal would completely abolish the American oil, natural gas, coal, and nuclear power industries. This segue brought to you by Segway. Segway, when you need a Segway, Segway. By this point, Trump is fucking dripping with sweat. Just profusely sweating if he was wearing a lapel mic it would probably electrocute him even worse he's gone on all these tangents about the green new deal and things of the like and the media not fairly covering the attendance at his rallies and now it turns out all that shit is in the speech also so he's got to cover it all again this is like that lord of the rings movie that has like 25 different endings and after like the third you're like okay well we do get to go now right no there are several more endings to come. Stay in your seat. And so now he's in this quandary where he's already gone on all these tangents. He's talked about the Green New Deal already. He's talked about the attendance at his rallies. But now he's got to talk about that shit again. 
because it's in the speech, and he manages to stay on course for a little bit, and then this happens. This is the craziest plan, and yet I see senators that are there for 20 years, white hair. See, I don't have white hair. I don't have white hair. Motherfucker, you don't have any hair. You have eight strands of hair that you've been growing out for the last 25 years that you just wrap around your head like the earth orbiting the goddamn sun. Also, you notice he's he's finally hitting that point where his tongue is sticking to the roof of his mouth. I sometimes wonder if that's what these tangents are about. I wonder if there's something about reading words that dries out his mouth and the only way to replenish those vital liquids is to go on a tangent about how some senators have gray hair, but you don't. Who knows? We may never know. But uh, let's listen to a couple more things and get the fuck out of here. There's a young gentleman. I turned on my television the other day, and I saw somebody that was violently punched in the face. Violently punched. And I said, that's disgusting. By a bully, I'd like to do a lot of things, but of course, we would never do that. Because if I ever said violence, they would say, Donald Trump attacked. No, no, no. Just for the media, I'm sure he's a lovely young man. Just had a little temper tantrum. I've been there before with those people. I don't want to do it again. So the man's name is Hayden Williams. Where's Hayden? Where is he? Where is he? Hayden, come up here, please. Come up. Thank you. Thank you. So at the Leadership Institute, we're committed to making campuses great again. And I thank you so much for bringing me up here to let me speak. It's, it's, great, it's great that I'm being recognized. And, uh, but there, there's so many conservative students across the country who are uh, facing discrimination, harassment, and worse if they, if they dare to speak up on campus. So I'm glad that we could, uh, we could you know, bring this to the forefront. And uh, I'd just like to say, you know, if these uh, socialist progressives had their way, they would put our Constitution through through the paper shredder in a heartbeat. So, you know, it's, it's as important now than ever to work at Leadership Institute and Campus Reform, you know, exposing these, these liberal abuses to the public. It's, 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 it's as important now as ever. And, and these, students, these students do it because they have a love of our nation and, uh, and, and freedom. And, and frankly, I love for you, Mr. President. So if you keep defending us, we'll keep defending you. Thank you. Stay here for a second. So, here's the one thing. I was going to call him, but I don't have to now. I see him here. But here's the one thing. I learned a number of things. First of all, he could take a punch. Muhammad Ali could take a punch. He can take a punch. Because you weren't going to go down no matter how. That was a hell of a hard punch. He was a strong guy. But you know what? You've got yourself a great lawyer. I know your lawyer. She is a great lawyer. Just tell her to do me a favor. Sue him, but he's probably got nothing, but sue him forever. But sue the college, the university. And maybe sue the state. Ladies and gentlemen, he took a hard punch in the face for all of us. Remember that. He took a punch for all of us. And we can never allow that to happen. And here is, in closing with Hayden, here's the good news. He is going to be a very wealthy young man. That's okay. Fuck you both. Hey, where was this outrage when Heather Hare was crushed to death by an automobile. Remember when Trump had her parents on stage during a rally and encouraged them to sue the organizers of the Unite the Right rally? If you ever, for some reason, still find yourself with doubts 
as to which side of the white nationalist fight Trump is on, just refer back to this moment. This dude got punched in the face for all of us. Us, meaning Trump supporters. Heather Hare, on the other hand, died for a bunch of socialist scumbags who want to shut down free speech on college campuses. I think that's the message we're supposed to take from this. And uh, hey, speaking of that, get a load of this. Today, I'm proud to announce that I will be very soon signing an executive order requiring colleges and universities to support free speech if they want federal research. If they want our dollars and we give it to them by the billions, they've got to allow people like Hayden and many other great young people and old people to speak free speech. And if they don't, it will be very costly. That'll be signed very soon. Oh, the irony. All of this talk about PC culture and how we can't legislate words, and it all ends in the president issuing legislation over what can and can't be said on college campuses. Congratulations. It's the world you've always wanted. Way to get the government out of your affairs. Also, it's worth pointing out, this is a completely pointless piece of legislation at that. And that's best case scenario. Worst case scenario is there's some other nefarious purpose behind this executive order. But no, that would never be the case. And the reason I say that this is completely unnecessary is because all of the centers around UC Berkeley allegedly not allowing conservative voices on their campus. There was a disturbance when Milo Yiannopoulos tried to speak there. And the protests got a little wild, and his speaking appearance had to be canceled. And now this young fuckstick gets punched in the face by a lone random assailant, and now UC Berkeley is worthy of having an executive order issued over their campus. Here are just a few of the names who've spoken at Berkeley in recent years that I think you'll recognize as being staunchly goddamn conservative. Charlie Kirk, who is the founder of Turning Point USA, which is the group that Hayden Williams was handing out flyers for. So the leader of that group has spoken at UC Berkeley. Rick Santorum, Dennis Prager of PragerU, Heather McDonald, Candace Owens, Dave Rubin, Steve Simpson, Antonia Okafor, and Ali Stuckey. These are all conservative names who have spoken at UC Berkeley in recent years. And as Berkeley pointed out in their statement about this, all of those speaking appearances happened with no protest and no opposition, which people on the right love to say, oh, it doesn't fit the Democrats' narrative. How's that for not fitting your narrative? Berkeley does let conservative voices speak, but pointing that out doesn't fit the narrative that college campuses are stifling free speech. But whatever, this is actually the point I most wanted to talk about in this speech. But we are so far in, and there are still 40 minutes to go in this thing. And by now, I'm as fucking sweaty as Trump is. So I'm just going to stop here. When this executive order actually happens, I'll dive into it a little more. If you want to watch the rest of the speech, you're probably a Trump supporter. But it's on YouTube. Search for it. You'll find it. It's very, very goddamn long. As for me, I'm done talking about this speech and its eye-opening moments. Pretty crazy speech, jam-packed with awkward segues and weird stories about raising Kane and senators with white hair. Classic Trump! God damn it, can we get this guy out of office soon? Please. I'm begging. I'm begging you. Just someone. Let's make this happen. Just joking. He'll be the president for the rest of my life, probably. Just like a vampire. So that's the episode. I don't know if you can tell from how I'm 
wiggling around in my seat, but I have to piss really badly, so I'm going to go do that. Come to our Hollywood Hotel show, March 30th. We haven't booked the comics yet, but it's always a good time. Starts at 9 p.m. Get there early. Seating is limited. And, uh, you know, subscribe on Patreon for extra stuff. Holy shit, I have to piss so bad. All right, I'm going to get out of here. Goodbye, everybody. I love you. <laughs>